welcome to another food for thought episode remember a bonus episode of the pipes magazine radio show and uh yeah thanks to our sponsors missouri meersham smokingpipes.com cornell and deal savinelli we're able to bring you a show like this just to you know, maybe uh, maybe fill some of those extra hours that we have now and, you know, just a little food for thought. So uh, now, this week, we're talking music, and in particular, we're talking drums. Why? Because my good friend that I've known for, God, John, what's it been, 14, 15, 16 years now? Uh, it, I, I think that's right. Uh, way, way back in your L.A. days or one of your visits, you know, at the old tinderbox there on Wilshire Boulevard, which I think is gone. Yeah. But yeah. That, and then the trade shows as well. Yeah. So uh, dr- yeah. drummer and uh, pipe smoker and part time <laughs> part time sailing and uh, full time <laughs> hockey stick collecting. <laughs> yes. Uh, John Ferraro and just John just I'll, I'll give everybody your street creds real quick and if you want to yes. you you know you've been a guest on the show so they can go back and listen to that pipe related but I'm reading one article here that talks about you playing with uh I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna paraphrase some of the names and throw them out here but um George George Benson, Steve Lukather, Linda Ronstadt, Eddie Van Halen, Steve Morse, Aaron Neville. Uh, you've played on soundtracks. You've played on TV. Yeah, I is <laughs> so. The reason I've got you here is because you've played just about every style of music there is out there, right? For the most part, yeah, I always, when people ask me that question, I'll say I'm kind of in the mainstream, meaning, you know, that there's styles like speed metal or, uh, you know, some really intense like rap, you know, kind of hip hop stuff. That's getting a little further off my radar these days, and especially as I'm, you know, becoming more of a senior member of the music society. (laughs) But but, um, all those artists you've mentioned, would be probably considered mainstream and you know they have a common thread that they're kind of household names if you've checked out songs or have been played on the radio and such and you know the tv shows are usually pretty mainstream uh all those different styles that do tie together and i think that was you know when i started out in my early 70s that was my goal to become a studio musician so that's led to the opportunity to play with a number of those artists that you just mentioned. So what I, what I wanted to do is sit down and talk to you and, you know, in the, in the next half hour, just get the, uh, just get the idiot's guide to what a different, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what it's required to play in different styles of music. And I, yeah, and I, I agree. You're sure. in, you're in that 60%. You're not on the 20% to the far left, 20% to the far right. You're that 60% right. in the middle. Yeah. Um, let's start off with, uh, with marches because did I just read that you played on the Raiders of the Lost Ark soundtrack? That's correct. Yes. A good friend of ours here locally here in Newport Beach, California, where I grew up, uh, a whole family is involved with the arts. Um, it's the uh, Jack Marshall was the dad. and He was a 
composer for movies and such, and you would know his work with uh, Peggy Lee um, and also the theme from the Munsters TV show. So <laughs> the oldest brother is Frank Marshall, and he's associated with Steven Spielberg, and they've yeah. done all those Raiders of the Lost Ark. So that was the connection was through Frank, but his other brothers, two brothers, there's uh, Phil, and Phil's a composer friend, and then Matt is his other brother that plays bass. And Matt's also an avid windsurfer, so that's another sidebar, but that's that'll be for our next episode about <laughs> sports activity. And so essentially it was an opportunity to get a, uh, a needle drop type track into that movie. So they wanted something that sounded, and I forgot even what the form was, I'd have to hear it again. But it was kind of a somewhat improvisational, stylistic piece, instrumental, and it just involved us coming up with something that was would fit into like a minute and a half or you know whatever the format was <clears throat> and they call it underscore where you're playing you know when there's dialogue going and you hear music behind it yeah so that was a lot of fun that was my early days uh down here in newport beach in a studio it was called lion recording l-y-o-n and the owner of that studio his family was in the home building industry as well out here in the west coast area but um yeah great opportunity to get a credit you know like you said you know just to build a resume and it did involve um being somewhat flexible oftentimes when you're recording you're working with a click and the picture because the timing is super critical for commercial work and like you said other movies uh tv shows soundtracks things like that it has to be very precise so that's usually the job of the composer and then you're watching the clip and they might say hey that moment right there where the guy punches him in the nose you know do something on the drums so you're <laughs> kind of interacting almost like a stunt or a circus drummer <laughs> where you the, the tightrope and then like you said with march aspect there's that technique where you're playing roles and it just helps build suspense uh for those type of scenes so can you can you just give us an example of what a typical march rhythm might sound like yeah, it, there's a couple of different formats. Usually, and I'll tie this in with my experience at Disneyland, you know, you've got, uh, whether they got zippity doo is kind of a, the march, but I think, you know, the, the Mickey Mouse march would be one. And that's typically thought of when you're studying the chart for it, it's a six, eight march. So it's like two beats of like, da, 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 you know, one, two, a one, a two, a one, a two, a one. It's a very continuous versus something like Anchors Away, which would be, or, you know, even like a show like, what was it, Hogan's Heroes. So that's more thought of a, like a two four march versus like the the you know the mickey mouse theme which is a six eight march those are the two primary rhythms and they are closely related one of them's they're just the main difference is you're doing a grouping of notes where it's divided in two that 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 versus that 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 which is a grouping of three okay. so that's to kind of summarize it quickly it's pretty straightforward but you can identify stuff and um different you know theme songs they've used that idea what's the other one um i'm well, it's not i'm digressing here but i think like the baby elephant march that was not that's uh, henry mancini i don't think that's applicable but there's you know influences of that rhythm and then of course you got the new orleans type of rhythms where you've got you're talking about second line and then that's after the person i guess they're walking back after they've buried the person yeah 
And that's more of a two beat kind of a boom, chuck, boom, chuck, boom, chuck. And then they do some different syncopations with that as well as the dirge, which is on the way in, which would be like uh mini the moocher, you know, but I'm not a good singer, but it's, <laughs> it's a very plotty kind of deliberate, but even there you're playing just boom, and that's, you know, a skill, I was played in the Dixieland band in my freshman year of high school. Um, and it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot because the guy that was the lead trombone player was way into it. His whole family had lived there or, you know, he had a lineage for the that style. So it's different than playing swing, which is more of a 4-4 kind of, a, you know, jump boogie beat or whatever. So it, they're all yeah. interrelated on the drums, but you do have to know the, the vocabulary for each of those styles. And when you when you talk about just a, a four four that that's kind of the that's really yeah. what blues and rock is based off of yes. right Ab- absolutely and uh, you know most of your dance rhythms you know uh, are four four um, the main difference with blues is there is that element that guys like to do the slow blues and so there they would call that uh a 12 8 feel so that's related to that march thing with the 6 8 now you're going you know da, 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 one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve boom doom to doom bat boom boom and you know a lot of like ray charles or uh at last uh is that etta james i believe you know yeah. that's a really good example of something like that um and you know the er- that goes way way back to the early 20s and soul you know gospel music um and a lot of the music that was originated you know all over the world but probably you know from the south in this country and those are really fun the blues guitars and then you've got different variations of those the shuffles but yeah mostly it's backbeat oriented music with you know the element of one beat one beat two beat three and beat four and then there's the way they're divided with the subdivisions of either the uh, double subdivision or the triple subdivision, which is that 12, eight. So it's the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, but that's also going one, two, three, oh, let four, oh, let. So we call them triplets. Yeah. It's called triplet. Yeah. <laughs> and so then, you know, you fast forward that to uh, a groove, like you mentioned Steve Lukather earlier. So I'll talk about Toto. They have a song called hold the line which is kind of a faster version of a so that's got a really fast pulsating 12-8 triplet groove and i know that there were interviews with the band they talked about hot time or hot fun in the summertime it's a sly in the family stone groove so you know you're the the beauty part of it is that we get to borrow all these ideas rhythmically and put them into new formats and it's always a you know fun challenge and a lot of times i'm referencing things or i'm asked to hey make it sound like you know the beatles uh come together or something and that's got those you know the triplets are in that beat as well so it's the techniques once you dive into it they're all overlapping however the style and also the what i like to call the wardrobe meaning the sounds that you're choosing to use if it's a small size jazz drum set that's tuned real tight or you're playing a big giant john bonham boomy led zeppelin size drum set that's like massive you know it just sounds you're playing the same rhythms but it has a whole different uh 
presentation. I guess it's almost like an artist choosing color palettes and things like that. And when you're when you're talking about the size of the kit, you're talking about about how many different yeah, how many different drums and cymbals and how many different yes. notes and ranges do yeah. you have to choose from? But Correct. yet you still only have two hands and two feet. Correct. That's a very good point. And a lot of it is, um, you know, the actual physical size of the drums, meaning you'll see nowadays like certain, uh, you know, coffee shop gigs, you've got what they call like busker type setups. So it's very, very small versus an arena set where you've got, you know, a, the late great Neil Pert from Rush, yeah. it would have a, an enormous setup with double bass drums and extra toms and maybe some electronic stuff. And, you know, so the, the, the but I've always was gravitated towards what's called like a four piece drum set. You know, my parents turned me on to jazz at a very early age, Joe Morello, who was the drummer with the Dave Brubeck quartet. Mm. So he, he had a silver sparkle Ludwig set and it was just a four piece, a bass drum, a snare drum, one mounted tom, one floor tom, and two cymbals. And then you've got, you know, Ringo Starr playing that same set. You've got Charlie Watts playing that same set. You've got, uh, you know, Stan Lynch from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. You know, uh, a lot of the new bands, too, they've got guys just playing what's called a basic four-piece drum set. And that's kind of, you know, that way you've got your feet are working and your hands and you're able to get around. Then, of course, stylistically, if you're doing Latin stuff or if you're doing prog rock then it's going to expand with like the double pedal that's a, a uh, allows you to play both feet with your left foot and right foot on the bass drum to play some of those speed pedal type patterns or just yeah. more complex and then you know timbales you're adding sounds latin music uh i was always fascinated by santana because i'm like wow this is just one guy playing and i had to realize it was like <laughs> oh no there's two or three guys going at the same time but that <laughs> You know, there was a conga player, a timbale player, and the drum set player. I go, well, what's the drummer doing? I can't really tell. And he was fantastic. He's still, you know, Mike Shreve is the drummer there. So, yeah, once you your ear starts to pick up all those rhythms, and then now a lot of it's enhancement with electronic loops, drum loops, where they're, you know, you're playing along to that. Yeah. And that's a lot of fun, uh, too, because then you get to you know, a lot of the subdivided rhythms are being carried by the loop. And that what they're looking for is more of a basic pulse, which is that four four, you know, boom, tap, boom, tap, boom, tap. Even though you got I'm going on top of that. But you're going, What's all that stuff? I don't want to have to play all that. <laughs> so you're so, so you be, you, be, come, yeah. you become the real timekeeper and the yeah. and the backtrack yeah. is doing the fun doing the weird stuff that kills your right. energy. Yeah, or it's just, yeah, it's a very comprehensive. And a lot of times the reason those are done is because they're composed by a keyboard player. So you've got 10 fingers versus four limbs, you know. Yeah. And even within the four limbs, like arguably, I would say, like on the snare drum, you're able to play multiple stroke rolls, bounces and double strokes and things like that. A uh, great example of that is Steve Gadd's work on the Paul Simon song, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. So that's got that famous drum intro, and he's doing a very tricky little beat uh, that's got sort of a marching-esque, you know, the 2-4 kind of march feel to it. Using And it's very, you can really listen to what he's doing, and I've always been fascinated. There's videos on him playing it, so I've 
finally learn how to do it, but it's not something I'm going to recall right on the spot. I'd have to work it up if somebody says, hey, we're doing that song on the spot. Uh, oh, shit, I got to remember how to play that. <laughs> that. That's that tricky pattern with this thing. And that's a really great example. Um, you know, there's other patterns, even like Ringo playing on Get Back. I think it's mostly just the kick drum and the snare drum. It's kind of the train beat, but it's his own version of it. You know, Bonanza, you know, there's that spills right over into Bonanza theme song. Those rhythms, you start to analyze it and recognize them, especially for what I'm doing. I have to be able to quickly reference the style and then make a choice to say, oh, that's this sound with that drum and it's played with these implements. That's the other thing that people sometimes don't realize. Brushes, uh, they call them uh, blastics, they're like dowel rods, and of course, regular drumsticks. So it's fun now because there's so much video information available. You can go back and study things and go, oh man, that's what he was playing? I had no idea. (laughs) You can't see see that from 300 feet away in an arena, but (laughs) on video, there's that. Yeah, I mean, right. And the way I would learn, you know, a lot of us learned back in the era was just to sit there and wear out the vinyl recording, you know, <laughs> over and over again to learn, hey, what's David Garibaldi's intro on Squib Cakes, you know, uh, Tower of Power song? And there's some just, you know, really great parts played by a number of different people that you'd always have to go back and listen on the vinyl. Now you've got the video instruction and guys have done you know play along videos that help you to learn their particular style now can you can you also change the sound of an individual drum by hitting the head in different areas that's a great question brian yes by definitely yes there's many sounds available depending on if you're hitting it right in the center kind of slightly off center and then what's also called the side stick which you turn the stick around and you'll hear uh, a good example of that would be um, Chardet's song, uh, Sweetest Taboo. That's mm-hmm. a really fun pattern. And it's got like a doon 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 It's kind of like a cross rhythm. And he's using the side stick on that. And then he there's the, the end of that pattern. He'll play like bop, bop on the snare drum. So you're like, wow. So that's, again, sort of a, a Caribbean's in inspired rhythm maybe a new orleans beat whoever came up with that it's a really great fun pattern to play and um you know there was guys in la earl palmer who was a famous studio drummer and he came up with a lot of that stuff i think he had played with fast domino and stuff but he's on a lot of great records so you know you're once you dive into the (laughs) never-ending rabbit hole of discovery on my instrument at least you're always going to come up with something that's interesting or intriguing so that and also the way it's the drums are tuned and the sound they're getting the way they're mic'd and a lot of those early records there's a lot of leakage meaning that you know you'll have all the musicians in the same room and they're playing together and then the piano mics are picking up what the drums are doing so that becomes part of that sound i know the uh what's the groups uh the motown stuff a lot of that was going on where they're all in the same room all playing at the same time those are some you know legendary classic performances of guys you know playing together at the same time in the same room and friendly leakage so they knew that they weren't going to do any overdubs necessarily but nowadays with the recording technology it's become a lot more sort of cut and paste which i'm you know i have a it's a double-edged sword for me because it's like well you know i want to get it right you know be able to play i was trained how to play a song for four minutes and not make a mistake now guys the producers will get lazy and go 
oh, that's fine. We got, you know, we like what you did on that first verse. We'll just fly it in on the second verse. It's like, what? Come on, that's cheating. <laughs> so <laughs> and they want to cut it up, you know, with the DJ kind of mentality. There's a lot of that style. I haven't worked with too many of the producers that do that. I think I'm still kind of regarded as a more, you know, organic player that can come in and get the job done, you know, start to finish. And then if they want to make some modifications, I'll be the first one to say, hey, you know, that other chorus, maybe I should play it this way. Oh, well, let's hear what that sounds like. And then I do it for them. Then they can decide later if they want to drop it in on the track. So it's now here's yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, here, here's the other thing that that's all completely new. And we we talked about this. I don't know, probably a year ago after the uh after your yeah. album The Mutual Admiration Society came out where you're you know, it's it's a it's the three of you and then what, six yes. six or seven tracks, there's a guest guitar player that comes in and plays on, That's on exactly top of right. it. Yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. So that was a challenge to kind of um you know, get the track done in the style that would fit that guest artist and yeah. they the, all the guest artists you know that stuff was done remotely <clears throat> meaning that we would send them the files and then they would record it and then send it back to us so <laughs> it was yeah, pretty amazing to, to see it be birthed that way you know it's like <laughs> that was oh, yeah, i'm having a baby but my wife's in a whole other state or something or, well, well that was, that was the yeah. thing that got me because i wanted to ask you about meeting a couple of those guitar players and you said i never met yes. them i don't know you know, it's, right. So yeah, you, that that happens a lot more these days in the recording world. You know, where um, <clears throat> they're kind of remote sessions, and now, of course, we're dealing with what we're dealing with now. I'm seeing posts every day on Facebook some from my musician friends where they're trying to set up sort of a jam session with one guy over at his house and the other guys at his place, and you know, the, that's kind of and limitless if you're in the same time zones. But I guess once you're trying to do something you know, crossing the dateline, it can get a little more challenging, but we were fortunate. You know, those guys were all fans of each other. And there is some video footage, I think online, there's that mutual admiration music, uh, uh, site. Or I think there's like on Facebook, you can go there and then there's some clips. We all got together and talked and just had a fun time. And then yeah. Sterling ball, who's kind of the point man in the whole thing, interviewed each guy and talked separately so yeah, it's long time relationships and, you know, we're all fans of each other. So it's totally non-pretentious, meaning we're not expecting to go out and do a tour or play anywhere. It's just a fun gathering to document some fun music that we grew up with and we all like. We're actually in production on the second project. We've got about seven songs already tracked and we're getting ready now to send them out to the guitar guys that are going to play on them. So it's been a fun process. We're a little bit slowed down now because of the uh, current uh virus you know situation yeah but, but that no um, that whole that whole album got me thinking about how mm -hmm. uh you know how versatile you had to be because each one of those songs is really from a a different genre and different style and then you've got these completely different guitar players that are doing their thing on top of it very good point yep um i know tying in with your sort of the pipe moment here, the collection with the Disney stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That track in particular was really challenging because it was uh, John Petrucci, who's a world-class musician, yeah. guitar player with uh, Dream Theater. 
And he requests, he goes, hey, you know, we were trying to think, well, what's, what can we possibly do? Because he plays some very advanced music that's really hard for me to even comprehend, to be quite honest. I'm super respectful of what they do, and it's amazing. I got to see them live before, and I was just blown away. <clears throat> so his thing was like, you know what? Let's do some Disney songs. My whole family likes Disney, and we go there, you know. <laughs> and so we came up with sort of a medley. There's four songs, you know, that are medley together. And that was super helpful for our dear friend Jim Cox, who's the keyboard player. And he's, you know, the nickname, I think I may have mentioned it before, is Mr. Music Business. Steve Morris, the guitar player, calls him that. But he's <laughs> incredibly gifted and talented. He's got, you know, a, a real sharp mind and recall of all kinds of music, you know, contemporary music. So he was a huge resource to, to uh, put that together and come up with some of the ideas on that particular track because we didn't know what we were going to do. We're like, well, how do we come a Disney song? We don't, you know, we all have heard <laughs> yeah. them, but uh, the electric light parade thing is in there. And then I think it, uh, you know, it's a small world is and, you know, that one and then zippity doodah and when you wish upon a star. So yeah, those were, we got the, the, those ideas approved by John. He goes, yeah, let's go for it. And so we did the track. He had never heard it. We sent it to him, and he played some amazing guitar work on that. Now, on that on that one piece, because there is you know those those four different distinct parts to it. Yes. Are you mm -hmm. wor are you working different rhythms underneath them, or are you keeping the keeping the rhythm the same and letting you know to yeah. to keep it together? That's a very good question, Brian. So what happened there is with technology, we were able to piece that together. So we had four distinct sections. And so what would happen is we would stop and start, you know, let's nail that section and then you would merge it together with the next section, the introduction, then, you know, one, two, three, four, all the way down the line. So there you're working with what a lot of studio musicians are comfortable with. It's called a click track. And that's just basically okay. a metronome going tick, 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 tick. So you're playing along to that. Hopefully <laughs> that's my job, but you know, for everyone to line it up and make it feel good. And then you put the whole thing together for us to try to execute that in one take would have been extremely challenging and very sloppy. So it made more sense to cut it that way with four separate pieces of music and then merge it together with some sustaining notes that tie it together. Um, and for okay. me, I'll bring up this point because you're sort of, you know, since we're talking about some of the techniques, I was real picky to some extent about the drum sounds for each one of those songs, even though it's basically the same kit, but then with the EQ from the studio and the mastering, they're able to say, all right, this track needs to have a big ballad fat, backbeat snare this one i want it to be more cracking poppy kind of snappy sound then the other one should sound like an electronic you know disco 80s sound <laughs> and then the last one should be like a full-blown you know arena rock sound so a lot of the instruments now with electronic drums they'll actually have those presets that'll say that i have a yamaha unit now that i'm just getting familiar with and you know it'll say big rock classic rock you know garage band rock or whatever and those are all sounds that they've shaped and put into the unit um and so in the studio it's kind of limitless with all the technology what they call plugins and people can you know with pro tools that's the the format that we like to use and there's several other ones but there there's a the endless library of sonic treatments you can do to any instrument but drums are super important because there's usually the most amount of open mics 
Um, you can get by with just doing, you know, four or five, but oftentimes there's at least 12 to 15 with room mics, ambient mics, uh, close mics, double mic on maybe the kick drum, double mic on the snare, the top and the bottom underneath the drum. So there's a lot of variables, and then you can treat each one of those a little bit different and just trying to get a balance and a sound. And uh, it's, a, you know, for me, I'm still learning about that side of it, the technology of recording, but my job is primarily to come in with good sounding equipment, which I'll always bring, you know, to the studio, several different snare drums, several different cymbals. The drum set itself is pretty much going to be the same, but I can tune it up. I can tune it down pitch wise, you know, ding, 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 or boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And then the amount of dampening, if it's ringing wide open or if it's like, doop, 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 like thumpy and dead. So, um, so this is yep. so uh, th this brings <laughs> this brings two things to my mind. One, I'm okay. going to have to go back and listen to that one individual track again and hear for the changes yeah. in the drum sounds. Uh, right on. <laughs> because I I come at it more from the guitar angle and I could hear the changes in guitar sound in there, but uh, yes. I'm, I'm going to get that noisy guitar guy out of the way of my, in my head <laughs> somehow. Uh, oh no, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but but this is this is also one of those things, and I guess this this really does tie into pipe smoking. Where you know, yeah. from the from the outside of it, you look at pipe smoking as well. I just you know get a pipe and I stick tobacco in it and I burn it and and it's good. But you're really sitting down and selecting the drums that you want to use for each song and selecting the sound that you want out of each drum for each sound, and then selecting where you're going to hit on the drum to get that sound and then you have to worry about what kind of a what, what are you going to hit the drum with so you, mm -hmm. you've got you've got a ton of variables just to get to yes. the right sound that you want very good point great segue too with regard to our hobby you know with the tobacco the choice of the pipe yeah. the draft hole the uh you know, concave shape or, you know, the size of the uh, mortar, you know, all those technical things along with even the choice of the tobacco, you know, you're going to, do I want a Latakia blend? Am I doing a, you know, Virginia? Am I going aromatic? Um, <laughs> and then, like you said, you know, how, I know you've turned me on to this, uh, I think it's called the Jeep lighter. Is that what it is? Yeah. How is that pronounced? The Jeep. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm hooked on that now. It's like, wow, what a great idea. And versus I was always kind of a, uh, the Vesta match guy when I could get them, but I think those sort of got discontinued here. Those, those uh, yellow box matches. Yeah. And then the guys over at my Tinder box would always make fun of me. Cause I'd come in sometimes with just paper matches and they go, Oh, don't use that. You're going to wreck it. <laughs> and so, but I would tip it and manage it as the guy over there at South coast Plaza that we all know and love. Yeah. But um, yeah, so all those little things will affect the overall, you know, experience with the pipe enjoyment and also like for me professionally with my work but you know the end result of a project that you're working on on a song or the entire albums so yeah that's i, I like your your uh, thinking on that ryan that's really sharp to <laughs> tie those together it's right on the money and then you i guess you must own a whole bunch of different drums and cymbals and sets yes. and kits and stuff like that and have a very tolerant wife that puts up with all these things around the house 
Oh yeah. It's, you know, it's the toolkit, so to speak. So I'm actually, uh, before the virus got started, I had a good friend that was helping me do inventory on stuff just to kind of, you know, take stock of what I have. So yeah, there's, I've got about 15 complete drum sets <laughs> along with, um, so- you know, yeah. And some of them are vintage period piece kind of kits. So they you know, they have some collectability, along with modern kits. The, the companies I'm endorsed with, and I should mention them, are DW Drums, uh, Zildjian Cymbals, Remo Drumheads, and Innovative Percussion are the, it's a stick company, but they also make the mallets and brushes. And then there's other peripheral products too. Um, nowadays you've got um, the earplugs I wear are ear racers, and also you've got Ultimate Ears, which are an electronic, you know, has a, uh, in-ear monitor system that you can play along with and you know all those companies are valuable to me i mean the the support and the product you know quality is superb on all that so um then symbol wise too yeah i've got a you know probably close to 70 symbols and there again it's for all those different styles and the sounds that were made for those records snare drums are a big deal probably about 40 snares um and then the different sticks and such you know those come and go because you'll break them and stuff but you know a number of different styles of sticks with different tips there's either wood tip or nylon tip and then there's even a company called easton uh that used to make uh it's called a head now i think but they make like a, a aluminum stick and then they were back in the days with the hockey thing when wayne gretzky first came to la he was using that easton aluminum stick and i got to meet the guys out there, they were developing an aluminum drumstick, and they wanted me to check it out. And so that was fun. And then I got to go to their factory. They were out in Northridge area. Um, but, yeah, it's there's all the little detail. I mean, if you talk about guitar players, they're going to talk about the Les Paul pickups and things like that and the Fender pickups and, yeah. you know, the type of cable you're using to connect it to the amps and the, the stomp boxes and everything. It's, it's just, for me, it's a toolkit. So my wife's somewhat tolerant, although she's seeing – that you know it's time to maybe start thinking about getting rid of some of the duplications of stuff you know so and then the pipe wise yeah i've got she i think i have i was just doing inventory on my pipes and my son was home helping me on that i think after the first six pages we stopped (laughs) and there's i think it's close to about 200 which is a little over the top but about maybe 15% 15% are unsmoked and those are just from travels around the world uh, you know getting a chance to go to Italy England Germany um, yeah. Australia although I don't think I picked up anything while I was there uh, most of them are domestic you know the different shops around the country and it's just fun you read about them in the magazine pipes and tobacco magazine so getting a chance to go visit and meet those people and hang out with them and then uh, I was just in New York City last month and went to the Barclay Rex shop picked up a two ounce pouch of Maiden Lane, a really nice blend. And then they had a, some old pipes that were there from some old briar, you know, they were in baskets, but I said, Oh, I got to get one of these. So I went through them all and, you know, learned how to pick them better with the, the draft hole placement. And if they're, you know, have a, a good airflow, you know, if, of course these, you know, the shape and then also the, uh, the grain, if there's any detectable, you know, things that, are appealing to me you know ring grain or bird's eye or whatever yeah (laughs) Uh, have you ever used a pipe when you're playing the drums because it might give a whole different sound that's a great idea you know what you've inspired me because the idea of especially flipping it over where there might be a sort of a pop you know i see a lot of guys when you get together and they do that handshake where you're 
you know, will clasp your hands and you kind of get that pop. Uh, that's a, I haven't thought about that. You're inspiring me here. Well, I've got enough downtime here to try that out. So I <laughs> yeah. probably would work better with something that's a, uh, not a, a non-plateau finish because of the unevenness where it wouldn't seal, but a nice billiard or a lumberman or something like that, a Canadian pipe. It would be long enough too. I'm going <laughs> to, after we get done, you're inspiring me. I'm going to go in the practice room and see what that does. It might have sort of a, an interesting little uh, slight delay to the, you know, suction of the, the, the way it's played. Interesting, Brian. Yeah. Now you, and, and now, yeah. now you have a yeah. way to write off new pipe purchases against yes. your. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to tell my wife, she'll get a kick out of that. Um, b believe it or not. Yeah. At one point I think I was using, um, knitting needles. There was some job I did years ago and the guy was just freaking out about volume. So I finally got so fed up because I couldn't use real sticks. And I said, well, wait a minute, let me try this. Or I talked to another drummer fingers. You know what? Just use knitting needles. So they were super delicate in this pinpoint sound. So I went to a yarn shop or whatever it was, you know, sewing supplies. They went through all these different size things. They're actually really well made. They're aluminum and precision. I forgot the company. But so I said, you know, let me pick up some of those. And the other thing I did use, which was kind of funny, were Japanese um, cooking uh, chopsticks because they were long enough, like the ones that the chefs use are about double the length. And so that just gives a real hollow, thin sound, especially on the cymbals. So you can kind of still do your thing, but not suddenly become overbearing. And there's another company that there's a guy in Hawaii that's making an implement that's very similar to that. Uh, and he's, I've, I've been in contact with him. So he's going to be sending me some more samples as, uh, to try out. So I'm excited to check out what the, those are. Yeah. Lidwich Solutions, I think is his name. Uh, uh, Quin, Lazaro Quinlan. Yeah. Really cool guy. He lives over on the islands and contacted me a while ago. So have, yeah, have you, have you ever done any of the, uh, any of the crazy stuff that we've seen some rockers do with, you know, like putting coins or liquid on the drums and, and, you know, weird mm -hmm. things like that. The closest thing to that would be when I used to work on the Young and Restless, they would have some live concerts with a couple of the, uh, you know, actors that were on the show. And it would just be like really big sort of um, the smoke and also a little bit of explosive stuff with lights. So that back then, this is like the early 80s, that smell was really toxic. I don't know what they were using. I think it's been regulated since. <laughs> but um, I went to see, you know, Blue Man Group, a friend of mine was helping them. And there they've got a lot of stuff, you know, with multimedia type things and they're slamming the drums and it looks like it's raining or it's, you know, there's liquid coming up off the drum. So I haven't specifically had anything like that um, with, you know, a, a live performance thing, but that is, there's sort of limitless. And then those guys that do those trapeze things where they'll lift the drum set up off the ground and turn it upside down. I'd be, I'd probably get seasick from that. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's most of that stuff, you know, it's kind of a, the, the theatrics of it, it's quite limitless because there is a, a certain amount of choreography that goes along with drumming and that people like to see. And, um, you know, with the lights show, the first time I saw Van Halen was in uh, uh, Mid-South Coliseum. I think that's in, is that Tennessee, I want to say, or I forget where, Memphis maybe. And the drum solo was remarkable because they had a timed out with the lights. And I think he had sort of an elevator thing. It just lifted up or something happened with the way the lights did something. And man, I mean, the playing was outstanding, but that really added another dimension of excitement uh, to the show. And this was, 
this would have been when I was touring with Manilow, Barry Manilow. So it would have been between 1980 and 82. And I forget oh. which record would have been out from them. But man, it was so, I was just so jazzed. I remember our tour manager, we had the night off and he, he goes, Hey, uh, you know, I talked to the promoter. He said, if anybody wants to go to the Van Halen show, I like jumped out of my chair. I'm like, Oh yeah, come <laughs> on. I think I was the only one that went, maybe one of the other roadies. Cause everybody else was like, ah, no, we got a night off. I'm just going to go order room service and crash out. Uh, but for <laughs> me, I was like a huge fan right from the get go. And you know, they're Southern California based band. And yeah. like I said, I was fortunate to get to play with Eddie a couple of times on some live shows um, back when we were doing some stuff with that, you know, the offshoot band, the Biff Babies All-Stars with the Mutual Admiration Society. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> those are all great questions, Brian. Yeah, you're oh, <laughs> stimulating. <man>. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, 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 just, we'll just finish this up and say that, you know, you yeah. are... <laughs> Besides being versatile, you're always working, which is a huge compliment to your quality. Uh, oh, thank you. Because yeah, thank you. Because in in your in your business, if you suck, you don't work. It's, it's a tricky business. I mean, you have to obviously have the skill level, but a lot of it too is the people skills, or just knowing how to just keep your mouth shut, you know, and just be, yeah, uh, you know, not be super opinionated. There's time and place for it, but. Yeah, just workable, you know, be, have a personality that's hopefully <laughs> not too abrasive in any one direction. Come <laughs> come in I'm, and deliver yeah. a little bit yeah. more than what they want. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I mean, I, I don't know that there would be a tour maybe that would be say, oh, no, I'm sorry, you can't come on the tour because you smoke your pipe. I mean, there are some <laughs> tours where I've been on where other guys in the band are pipe smokers, so we have a great time when we're not working, you know, sit out front of a hotel somewhere. Now, most of the places are, you know, smoke free environments, but, uh, yeah, it's just a camaraderie thing, uh, workability, but you know, you still have to have the chops and, uh, professionalism to, to back it up. I think too, it's not just fun and games or, you know, every day is make believe Saturday and just <laughs> goofing around, you know, party all night long. I mean, it's most groups can't afford to do that anymore. You have to be very, very focused and, take it serious because there's a lot at stake you know in each of those situations so yeah, like just you know going to get uh work done at a doctor or something like that i'm sure you would want them to be out flailing around <laughs> and stuff it's like you want them at the top of their game and so i think most musicians in this day and age are very conscientious of how they present themselves you know it's fun to have that image of you know sex drugs rock and roll but reality i don't think most of them are pulling that off anymore to any extent no yeah. john uh you know thanks for thanks for coming on yes. and doing this uh my pleasure brian thank you for the invite i want to i want to again thank uh, missouri meersham smokingpipes.com savinelli and cornell and deal uh just google search john ferraro and you'll find a whole bunch of <laughs> there's a whole bunch of stuff to listen to that you've that you've played on and uh yeah, John, thanks again. I look forward to seeing you somewhere down the road at a pipe show or yes. uh, in L.A. Yes, I'm sure hoping so. Thank you so much, Brian. It's always a treat to hear all your uh, shows that you've done and, you know, the, the great work you're doing. I love following you on Facebook and stay safe out there with the current, you know, crisis that we're all dealing with all over the world, praying for uh, all those countries in Europe where, like you said, we talked about offline about the briar, where it comes from. Yeah. So I'm hoping things settle down here. Yeah, and that has right. been uh, Food for Thought. <laughs>